podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Brutal Nation, a podcast series dedicated to less-known serial killers and acts of true crime. My name's Scott Alexander. Right across from me is Tammy Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. So your shoulder is still hurting over there? A little bit. Okay. Actually, all the time, but whatever. I'm playing it down. So I am so fucking confused by the name <laughs> that you even gave me. Who the hell names your kid that? Like, for real. What fuck okay, card does well, that? This, you'll learn. Okay. Watch, watch our, our, our Asian markets. Wait a minute. I know, no. That's my name. No, no, this is it. He is a, this is a kill, serial killing pair. It's a guy by the name of Leonard Lake and Charles <laughs> Cheetah Ng. I'm sorry, Cheetah? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's not that spelled right that way, but I got the correct pronunciation. <laughs> Charles Cheetah Ng. He's a Hong Kong, he's a Hong Kong native. Never would have guessed. <laughs> I hate you sometimes. You make me have to apologize to the world on a daily basis. His last name is two fucking letters, N-G. Yes. I was confused. I was like, how in the hell do you pronounce that? But I figured it out. You need a vowel in there. You do. And there's no vowels. There is none. Just saying. I know. I have a little girl at my lap. We got got puppies over today. We have puppies. Not mine today, but we got puppies still. Okay, so anyways, these guys were a serial killer pair out of San Francisco area, I believe. Oh, super duper. Yeah. And the quote I have for you is from Leonard Lake himself. Are you ready? Sweet. You love these. What I want is an off-the-shelf sex partner. Slave. There's no way around it. Yeah, that's what he wants. Let's just say, you know, you can kind of relate, can't you, Scott? <laughs> well, you know, if he clicked on that Amazon link on our website... Um, we could get I, him a blow. No, that wish one. Remember when we showed that wish, oh that half, God. that half body. Fuck. <laughs> and the weird thing is, wish shit keeps on coming up, mm-hmm. and it gets more and more and more bizarre and disturbing. Oh yeah, I see stuff there that I I can't even imagine what the fuck you're going to use that for. No. I'll just pass disturbing. that by. Disturbing. Okay, so anyways, um, this might actually be a two parter because it's very long. So I think I know where my cutoff point is. Um. I'm going to start pretty much where the authorities started. Um, on June of 1985, the authorities thought they were responding to a routine call. Um, a call came in to headquarters, you know, a 911 call came in about a shoplifter in <laughs> South, City, South City Lumberyard in San Francisco. This officer said, you know what, I'll respond to it. It's probably just, you know, random shoplifter. Because um, the sales associate said that he saw an Asian man pick up a bench vice and conceal it in his jacket like he was planning to steal it. And little did this officer know that what he would, fu- would soon find out is this call was anything but run of the mill. Um, when uh, arrived- I get it. Lumber mill. Lumber mill. Got it. That wasn't my intention, but thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were making an attempt to make I a I wasn't, joke. actually. Because oh was I have been funny. so tired lately. Almost by <laughs> I've been so tired lately that I'm not even punning it up. So <clears throat> it's not going to be a punny day. No, not going to be a punny day. All not right. going to have a fun yen today. Let's, um, get, let's get going. Meow. Yeah. <laughs> now I can't even speak. I hate you. When he arrived, he parked next to a 19, you know, he noticed the park next to a 1980 Honda Prelude. And as he stepped out, he saw an employee come towards him with a larger bearded guy walking with him. Oh, my God, it's me. 
No, dude. <laughs> this guy, no. You're actually better looking than this guy was, and that's saying a lot. Brutal. Fucking brutal. You man. know what? You called me fat yesterday, so fuck off. <laughs> I did not. You did. You made a reference to my big ass. I just said that it could eat Tokyo. That's all I said. <laughs> and saying the Godzilla song in reference to you. I ass. know. You said I had a big ass, but that's okay. Okay, so tell, tell me about bearded dude Anyways, and lumber. So and- they so you saw this guy walking toward him, and you know the trunk the trunk was actually open, and the uh, the clerk pointed into the trunk and said, "There's the vice that the guy stole. the The guy who stole it ran off. We don't know what happened to him." Um. So inside the trunk, this officer saw the vice and another bag, and he thought it looked like a handgun in there. And so when he opened the bag, it was in fact a loaded twenty two with a silencer. Oh, nice. Yeah. A little hitman action. Yeah. So uh, the bigger guy handed Officer Wright a receipt saying, you don't even be to, need to be here. I paid for it. Everything's good. You know, it was just a misunderstanding. Um, so <clears throat> he said, you know, I can't just leave. I have to, like, figure out what's going on here. So, um, sorry. He went back to his cruiser and called in the register, the plate number of the condo. Right? Like they're supposed to do. Right, right. And as he was waiting for a response, he asked the guy who the vehicle belonged to. And he was told it was belonged to a man named Lonnie Bond, who was up north somewhere. Right? Aren't they all? <laughs> and right around then, dispatch notified this cop that the plate number in question was not registered to a Honda. It was, in fact, registered to a Buick that belonged to Lonnie Bond. Um, Same then, person, different car. Yeah. Same person, different car. So he went back to the guy and said, you know, exchanging plates on vehicles is kind of illegal, right? Yeah, only a little though, right? Only a little bit. And so he said, can I see some identification? And the guy handed him a driver's license with the name Robin Stapley on from San Diego. Now, it, this is a convoluted story, and I think that's why it took me so long. No shit. I'm already confused. Yeah. I'm just kind of following okay. along now. Yeah, wait. It gets better. He So this guy was, you know, said it was... 26-year-old named Robin Stapley from San Diego. Well, the cop was, like, really suspicious because the guy standing in front of him was obviously not 26 years old. He was way older. And he's like, dude, this is making no sense. Dude, you're 65 if you're a day. You got wrinkles bigger than <laughs> right. my grandma's. Well, he was at least in his 40s. So not comfortable just letting things go and leaving. He attempted to actually get more information from this man who was claiming to be Robin. So Officer Wright picked up the gun silence, gun and silencer and asked the guy if he was aware that carrying a silenced weapon on his person was against the law. And that's when he said, the guy said, it's not mine. Belongs to Lonnie. And I only used it to shoot beer cans out in the woods. With a silencer because, you know, you yeah. have to sneak up on beer cans. <laughs> you do. If not, they run do. away, especially in the woods. You know what? Duh. Every- <laughs> Is that a PBR? You got to watch out. They're fast. <laughs> Does a beer can Pop when nobody's in the woods. <laughs> or bush light. <laughs> yeah, watch Pots out. Of wine. <laughs> oh my God. Don't get me started on your best friend's <laughs> husband who drinks fucking box wine. You said bush beer, so that's what I went to. <laughs> okay. okay, so he has to sneak up on beer cans and shoot them. I understand. I, hey, yeah. It's, it's legit. Yeah, so when he radioed in to check the serial number of the gun, dispatch told him it belonged to a guy named Robin Stapley. Much to the guy's dismay, Wright put him under arrest for possession of an illegal firearm. He said, he goes, the weapon's not mine. And then, he, then after the cop tried to talk to him, he decided to keep his mouth shut. He said, he knew he had a problem when the officer said, um, 
If your name is truly Stapley, as a, your identification says, then this gun is most definitely yours. <laughs> so he was like, mm, gotta go. Drat, foiled again. I know. You know what I think? teenagers. I, I bet you what happened was one of those PBR kids he was shooting at <laughs> came around and said, Psst, that's the asshole right there. The gun's in the trunk. Shot three of my brothers out of a six-pack. <laughs> Anyways, so... He locked the guy in the back of his cruiser after he was handcuffed, read him his rights. Um, then he went in the store to get a description of the other guy who sold the vice so he could put a bolo out. And it was on an Asian male, slight build, approximately 25 years old, last seen wearing a parka. Then he made arrangements to have the prelude towed to the police department, down to impound. At the station, he put the guy in an interrogation room and told him to empty his pockets. Did you say what year this was? Uh, 1985. Okay, I just want to make sure we're still in the 80s. Yeah. With that cool-ass Honda Prelude and everything. Yeah. Whatever. Um, so he told the guy to empty his pockets, right? When the guy removed everything from his pockets, the um, officer noticed that there was a travel voucher among the items for a guy by the name of Charles Gunner. Okay? Let me pause here for just a second and recap. The guy was driving a Honda Prelude, had license plate belonging to a Buick that was registered to a Lonnie Bond that had a silenced gun in the trunk. He had an identification stating his name was Robin Stapley, which coincidentally was the name registered to the gun. And in his pocket, there's a travel receipt for a guy named Charles Gunner. That's at least three names that are part of this increasingly suspicious situation. There's a whole lot of shit going oh, on there. Oh, it gets better. I mean, I'm telling you, this is one that, for the record, this is going to be a Billy Mays episode, isn't it? But wait, there's more. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Wright began the interrogation by asking him who Charles Gunner was. Before he was given an answer, another cop informed Wright that the vehicle ID number indicated the prelude was owned by a guy named Paul Cosner, number four. And that guy had been reported missing nine months before this. Okay. He told the guy with the beard about this new bit of information and watched as the guy went deathly pale before he asked if he could get a pen and some paper along with a glass of water. Okay? Since he didn't want to make any assumptions, he flat out asked the guy, you going to write out a confession? The guy said, no, nope, just a note to my wife. When Wright gave him the pen and paper and, hit and uncuffed him, he wrote out a brief note, put it in the pocket of his shirt he was wearing, and in an effort to be helpful, the officer said, you want me to deliver that to your wife for you? All the guy said to him was, I don't think, a, I didn't think a lousy bench vice would bring me to this. Officer Wright said, can you repeat yourself? And the guy said, my name, he goes, my friend's name is Charles Cheetah Ng. That's Cheetah pronounced Cheetah and Ng, and he's, you know, N-G pronounced Ng. Uh, when the guy said something, Wright wasn't, ex then the guy said something he wasn't expect. the cop wasn't <laughs> expecting at all. He goes, my name is not Robin Stapley. It will, it was, it's really Leonard Lake. And if they run that name, you'll find out I'm wanted by the FBI. That would be the only truth this guy would ever say. In fact, those would be the last words that Leonard Lake would ever say. After he told the officer that he was a fugitive, he reached up and grabbed something from under his lapel and put it in his mouth. In a matter of seconds, he was on the floor. His eyes were rolling in the back of his head and he started to convulse. Wright immediately shouted for help, and he rushed the, guy, rushed the guy's side to check for a pulse. And although it was 30, he was kind of still alive. Are you Tarantinoing me? You're starting at no, the dude. end. And I thought I back. was too, but no. Okay. I just, it was hard for me to start at the beginning because there was so much information. So I said, you know what? Let me just start where the cops did. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, if they can do it, I can do it. Well, no, that works. I'm, yeah. I'm so, just scene. The paramedics came and took Lake out to transport him to the nearest hospital, which happened to be a Kaiser Permanente. 
<laughs> where um, he was put on life support. Um, then um, as paramedics left, Wright couldn't understand why somebody would commit suicide over something so insignificant. And he got his answer pretty quickly. Um, when South San Francisco police started looking at the items they had gathered from Lake, they knew right away that what they were dealing with was way more than a shoplifting. Their first indication was when they took a closer look at the prelude and they saw bloodstains on the passenger seat, a bullet hole near the sun visor, and two shell casings beneath the seat itself. Were they from the 22? Just a guess. I don't know yet. <laughs> Actually, I don't remember if they even said. So, according to the missing persons file on 39-year-old Paul Costner, he was a used car trader who was reported missing in November 2nd, 84. And that's the day he told his girlfriend he was leaving because he had to show some weird-looking guy the car. That was the last time anybody saw or heard from him again. Holy shit. Yeah. Detectives in San Francisco Missing Persons Unit, who were investigating his disappearance, saw the vehicle and all the property collected from Lake were sent... Who? So the vehicle and the property were sent over to them. Many items found in the property would raise even more suspicion. In the glove box, investigators found numerous banking credit cards as well as other documents in the name of Robin Stapley. So they ran a check on that name. They found out he was a founding member of a group called Guardian Angels in the San Diego chapter. And this is, do you know what it is? I have no okay, you looked at me kind of like you knew. This is a national organization formed to aid the police by protecting private citizens from criminal attacks. Jesus. Coincidentally, <laughs> they also learned that Stapley was reported missing back in April. That wasn't everything they found. They also discovered another bank card, and this one was issued to a guy by the name of Randy Jacobson and a bill from Pacific PGE for a woman named Clara Lynn, I can't pronounce her last name, Ballas, B-A-L-A-S-Z. The bill had a P.O. box address out of Wilseyville. I don't know where that's. I know where it's at, but. It's, a, it's in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, approximately 150 miles east of San Francisco. So when they contacted PGE, they learned that this lady was actually Lake's ex-wife. So, and she lived only a few miles from the lumber yard in San Bruno. It's a very convoluted story. You're looking at me all confused. I am beyond confused. Normally, I look for the shit that you don't say. Uh, there's a lot in here. But I am just way confused. So yeah. Now I'm just going to keep my yeah. big ass mouth no, shut. No, because I have listen. gone through this and I've researched the fuck out of it and I'm still confused. So, two detectives were set out to interview Clara Lynn on June 3rd. They asked her about the P.O. box address and she told them it was for a cabin that her father owned near San Andreas. When they told her to give them directions to the actual location, she said, it's kind of hard to find unless you're familiar with the area, so I'll take you up there. So they made arrangements to meet her the next day and have her take them up there. Well, when they arrived at the, they got the necessary search warrant and everything, went to go meet her and Lake's mother at a grocery store, which is a little bit away from the cabin on Highway 88, she was late. And she said her late, the reason she was late was because she had actually gone to the cabin before she met with them. And they said, well, if you took anything out of the cabin, that's obstruction and you can be arrested. And she goes, oh, no, I just took some videos out of there that uh, depicted me and him having sex. And I didn't want to be embarrassed about him. Fair enough. Yeah. I don't want your tapes to get out. Oh, my God. I don't even have tapes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I don't what? believe it, but okay. Whatever, you freak of nature. <laughs> Look, 
There's a video camera right there. I'm just saying. <laughs> no. Anyways, the search team had had them take her out to the cab, had her take them out to the cabin and led them up Blue Mountain Road, where they passed a cinder block structure before they arrived at the cabin. Despite what she said about the difficulty they would have, it was a very easy, it was like just a windy road and like there it was. In her defense, though, the, the word difficult is subjective. Because what's difficult for me might be easy for you, type of a thing. So maybe in her mind, she's like, um, this is a scary place, and then the road turns, and I saw a deer and a chicken. Okay, I think, thing, I personally I mean? believe that she told them that so she could get to the cabin first and get sh- shit out before they got there. Just say it. Maybe, maybe, I'm just maybe saying. it's just difficult for her. Okay. <laughs> you are always willing to give somebody the benefit of the fucking doubt. I got your back, sweetheart. Mary Lynn or Janet Clara Lynn. Lynn. Clara Lynn. Something Lynn. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Lynn Lynn or um, whatever. They had her um, unlock the cabin so they could be searched by the deputies. And so the one of the one of the investigators and one of the sheriff's deputies went inside while the other two searched the grounds. The cabin itself had two bedrooms, a kitchen and a bathroom. As soon as she entered the room... One of the investigators saw that there were some blood stains, some stains on the ceiling that were reddish in color. And one wall was painted with a mural. And in the middle of the mural, she could clearly see a bullet hole that looked to be from a small caliber firearm. In the kitchen, she discovered another bullet hole in the floor that looked similar to the one in the wall. And then the scene in the master bedroom was a little disturbing. There was a four-poster bed with electrical cords tied to its posts. On the floor at each corner of the bed were these heavy eye bolts, which were secured tightly. And there was also a 250-watt floodlight hanging from the wall above the bed. So, I'm just telling you. That leads into the question I asked before breakfast. (laughs) No, it does not lead into that question at all, because I was not there. I was only 15 at the time, so fuck off. You know them or something? No, I I do not know them. My dad might, but I don't. (laughs) Asshole. So, on one side of the bed, there was a dresser that had several pieces of lingerie, and many of them had dark red stains. The bed had two mattresses. And the second mattress had what appeared to be a large blood stain on it. Maybe it's wine. When does wine look like blood? Because they're both red. They stain Duh. differently. Wine stains more purpley in color and blood stains more dark brownish. Maybe they, maybe, hey, that's got to be blood, but you never know. It might be some fucked up box I'm not wine. a doctor and I'm not a cop and I know what blood looks like. I'm just saying, maybe it's like some box wine. You're a dumbass. And they were they were drinking it out of a small box, like a little like Capri Sun or juice box. Oh, like a juice box wine. Yeah, and then maybe ing or whatever. Their lunchable. Yeah, that exactly. They were hanging out. They're eating some lunchables. They pull out their little juice boxy boxy, and then (laughs) juice boxy boxy. And they went, "Oops!" And squeeze. Have you ever squeezed a juice box? Man, that shit goes everywhere, everywhere. When's the last time you had a juice box, Scott? Uh, (laughs) fuck. I just want to know because I need to know who you were around so I can call their parents. <laughs> oh, you sick fucker. <laughs> I know. You got issues. You're an I know. You ha- you're mean to me, so I got to get you back. Well, it's not mean. I cook breakfast, fucker. You did cook breakfast. It is really good, too. Um, so she went back to the living room where this sheriff's deputy showed her two audio duplicating devices and a television set. 
Even though the serial numbers have been removed, authorities later were able to determine that the equipment belonged to a guy by the name of Harvey Dubs. Yeah, yet another name, Scott. I'm starting to think that they impersonated everybody in, like, the northern region of California. Yeah, in the San Francisco area. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like it. San Francisco, San Diego, all that. So, San Francisco resident Harvey, as well as his wife and son, were reported missing on July 24th, 1984. One of their neighbors, who was determined to be the last person to see them, reported witnessing them having a conversation with two men who were supposed to be there to look at audio equipment. After Harvey had placed a for sale ad in the classified section of a local newspaper. You know, coming back to this for just a second, when I read about this, and we did long, I'm afraid to check the newspaper for anything Uh for sale ever again. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. That's actually right where my mind went, so I have a mouthful of bacon. Yeah. It went right to to long, because that that was... uh, That was how he picked his victims for raping them, yeah. Right. He he would look for the, like, uh, a for sale sign or read, uh, you know... Garage sale or anything, yeah. Right. That's crazy. So, with this evidence, they were able to collect, up to that point, uh, the the Brun and Varian, who were the officers inside, went to the San Andreas District Attorney's Office and spoke to the assistant DA, who took them straight to the judge... And he immediately provided with a, search, a warrant to search the entire property. With the warrant in hand, they returned to the cabin where they questioned Clara Lynn and Gloria, the mom, and about their visit to the cabin that morning. And Gloria flat out refused to answer them, the mother. And Clara Lynn answered only one question before she herself became very evasive. And the evasive answer she gave them was uh, to inform them that her parents were the ones to purchase this cabin from the fat guy. No, always a fat you were guy. only 15. Still. <laughs> God damn it. It's always a fat guy. It's always the fat guy. Blame so, it on the fat kid, man. Yeah. You want to know why? They didn't want the cops to know they were drinking boxed wine out of little juice boxes. And spilling it all over the mattress and getting it all over the lingerie and all over the ceiling. Exactly. That was a wild-ass fucking party. Hey, we should call Dan. We need to get Dan on the phone. To see how wild his box wine parties go. If you've ever met Dan, he's not wild at all. <laughs> Drinking box wine, I imagine not so. Fried all of his goddamn brain cells. Yeah, no sense of humor. <laughs> None. So. That's even better reason to get him on the other show. Yeah. So the other investigator waited for uh, Run to finish questioning Claire Lynn and Gloria. <coughs> then he led her to an area of the yard where he showed her an incinerator. The incinerator was cut in constructed with fireproof walls that indicated it was able to stand up to extremely hot temperatures. Well, yeah, they're going to incinerate the garbage. Okay. Uh, Think about it. It's a windy road. Is the trash man going to drive up there? Probably fucking not. I got your back, guys. I got your back. Scotty's on the case. Yeah, well, he needed you on the case. (laughs) So they figured that whoever occupied the cabin previously was involved with the disappearance of multiple individuals in some way. It was even remotely possible they knew they would have to search the entire area, which meant they would need to make searching the incinerator and the concrete structure they noticed on their drive up the road a priority. The only problem is the warrant didn't include the structure. They tried asking Clara Lynn if they could search it, and she responded angrily just by telling them to go talk to Charles Ng. And so they knew they needed more information on Ng. So they asked her, give us all the details you can. She said that she she told them he was an Asian guy who hung around late quite a bit, 
And when they asked her when she had last seen or spoke to him, she said uh, she provided them with some essential information. Apparently, he called her the day before asking for a ride to his apartment, telling her he needed to go pick up a paycheck. While they were there at the apartment, she saw him pack a suitcase with some clothing, a 22 handgun, ammunition, a California driver's license, and a social security card, both with the name Mike Komodo, and a significant amount of cash. She also told them that after they left there, she gave him a ride to the San Francisco airport, and she dropped him off at the United Airlines terminal, but she did not know where he was headed. Okay? Mm-hmm. Investigators, oh, where was I? Oh, asked her to tell them more about Lake, and she told them that she had met him in a Renaissance fair, and they dated for a brief time before they got married. Lake's best man was a guy by the name of Charles Gunner. He was a friend of Lake and known for... A friend Lake can know for quite some time, and she called him the fat man because he was five foot eight and weighed almost four hundred pounds. See, it wasn't you. You're not that short. You are such an asshole. I was being nice. Not close to four hundred pounds either, you <laughs> dick. You caught that. <laughs> you know what I like about you? Not a goddamn, goddamn thing. thing. <laughs> you love me and you know. You're it. a dick. I am. You know, you're going to forever make up for calling my ass fat. Like, I'm Godzilla. Oh, my. It was eating Tokyo, so fuck off. It wasn't currently eating Tokyo because you're here. I just won't put you on a plane. (laughs) It turns out that Gunner actually paid for the wedding. And not long afterwards, she and Lake moved to Philo in Mendocino, where they actually lived, and I'll explain it a little later, they lived on a commune for a while, a hippie commune. Um, Once they moved to a place there, Lake got a job as a manager for a motel. Before they were there a whole year, Ng moved in, and Lake and Ng had a connection of sorts, as they were both former Marines. And sometime in 1982, only five months after he moved in with them, Ng took off for a few days, only to return in a pickup truck he was driving. That night, he and Lake went out to the front yard and did something that she could only describe as a weird sort of dance. Before they got some, took some crates out of the truck and put them in outside structure. She Please tell me they were singing the Godzilla song while they were doing that. Him being Asian and all. Oh no, there goes Tokyo. Come on, you, you know the words. You know the words. Sing it. I do, but you sang it to me yesterday and I'm refusing to talk to you now. <laughs> so, bite my ass. No, it's got teeth. It'll bite me, man. <laughs> I need a little uh, Asian guy from Japan to sit there. You and... think I have an Asian guy on my ass? Is that what you said? No, in order to, in order to even get close to you, but that way. Oh, there, he, he... I need a handler. No, I need an Asian guy when it comes when it comes to anything about your ass, because that way there, he can speak in subtitles for me. It helps. The subtitles help. You're an asshole. Oh no, Godzilla. Godzilla. Get it right. Okay, so the next morning. Um, oh, this is her still talking about, uh, you know, after the guy came back. So the next morning after that, she awoke to the FBI raiding the property. They arrested Ingen Lake, charging them with theft in relation to some weapons that had been taken from a military base in Hawaii. Gunner post Gunner posted Lake's bail, which was $30,000 and Ing didn't have a bail because he was still a serving member of the Marine Corps. So he ended up being court-martialed and sentenced for two years, which he served in Leavenworth. We all know about Leavenworth. Um, That's your home away from home right there. 
No, it's Carl Pan's Rams. Oh, that's right. It's Carl Pan's Rams. So. Yeah. Lake himself didn't want to. I've never been to Leavenworth, you jackass. <laughs> wow, that, that was I a time, Bob. Take a one. Holy shit. <laughs> it's a little slow this morning, aren't I, you? I told you I'm tired. Lake himself didn't want to go to jail, so he decided he would just go live in the mountains where he could hide from authorities. He asked her to join him. She refused, and as a result, their marriage kind of deteriorated. He left and moved into the cabin. The authorities were now searching. Um, Papa, I lost it. Brun and Eisman, the two investigators, tried questioning her about Lake's relationship with Ng, and she quickly became agitated. After that, she said she wanted to speak to a lawyer and refused to give them permission to search the concrete structure. Not long after that, she just left with Gloria. Okay? Okay. Yeah. So the investigators called their office to pass on the information they had about Ng, the alias he was using, and where he was last seen. After that, they returned to the DA's office and asked for another warrant to include the structure, and considering all the information they had, their request was granted immediately. Well, hold on. Here's where I'm a little confused, because you'd said that they got a warrant to search the entire property. But it didn't include the structure, because that was on the way up the road. It was, I would think that the structure is on the property, though. Technically, they didn't consider it part of the property. when Because they, they were driving up the road and past it, before, and then it drove further up to get to the cabin. Okay, I, so, I, just, no. I would just think that it's all some. Yeah, they didn't shit. know where the property lines were for it at that point. Um, hey, FBI and police department—they make these things called surveyors maps. That might be a new thing to okay. you. Well, but back you can in '85, would they have checked the surveyors map before they thought they were just searching a cabin? They could have gone. They could have gone down to the fucking I don't know the surveyor map department in the city. I don't know who the fuck carries those things or the city engineer or whatever. Go, hey. We don't know where the fuck this property ends or begins. Got a map? They'd be like, yeah, hold on. Let's get into the big old map. Fucking and hope vault. Swiper doesn't swipe it. <laughs> yeah, and Swiper no swipe, eh? And boom, you know, they get into the backpack. Door of the Explorer comes out. Then immigration picks her then up and deports her. boots little monkey. Yeah, and then they all get deported back to Mexico. I, I want that monkey. <laughs> just saying. But, you know. Don't but, be mean to me right now when I just said I want a monkey. Godzilla. Oh, wait, you are a monkey. Godzilla's eat monkeys. I was just saying. No, you are a monkey. Whatever. You said it yourself, not me. Just, just finish your podcast, no, smart whatever. ass. Anywho. <laughs> so they got the, re- they were granted the request immediately. And that's when a task force consisting of 12 men from San Francisco Police Department were joined by five men from the D- county sheriff's office. And. They went out there to search the property. They began their search on June 4th, and they started by setting up a base camp while they waited for a locksmith to come unlock the structure. The search party examined the area surrounding the structure, and they discovered a 10-foot diameter clearing that had traces of lye and a trench of some sort that looked like it held, held several pieces of clothing. Sheriff Ballard, who was there was worried this area was a grave site. So he told the search party to focus on that particular area, and then he told another officer to go find the owner, the person who owned the other land that adjoined it, and talk to them. And it wasn't long after that the team would include some cadaver dogs, a forensic specialist, and two more patrolmen. And a partridge in a pear tree. You know what? Since you're over there, you should go get me a glass of water. I was actually going to get the coffee pot, but okay. That'll work, too. Either way, I'm thirsty. <laughs> and so apparently... Right there. Yeah, shut up. God. People wonder why I haven't choked you yet. 
the officer that was sent to find out who owned the adjoining property came back only to deliver some rather disturbing news. Apparently, the owner, a guy by the name of Bo Carter, had told him that the house was a rental. It was currently being rented by a guy by the name of Larry Lonnie Bond, who lived with his girlfriend, Brenda O'Connor, and their infant son, Lonnie Jr. A few weeks before, Lonnie had fallen behind on the rent, so Carter sent a real estate agent over to collect what was due. And the agent informed Carter that while she was there, some guy by the name of Charles Gunner approached them from the area of the cabin to inform him that Lonnie and his family had simply up and left 10 days before that. The agent also told Carter that there was another man living with the family before they left, and that guy's name was Robin Stapley. The final thing the agent told Carter was that there was an eroded bank somewhere near the boundary of the two properties that looked as if it had been dug up recently. Apparently, after hearing all this, himself, the owner himself went over to the property a week after that because he wanted to see the property for himself. As soon as he got there, Charles Gunner came and watched as he inspected the house. But Carter said he didn't give it a second thought. While he didn't give it, huh, he didn't give it a second thought until he saw the news report about Lake and he saw the, his picture. And that's when he realized that the guy who called himself Charlie Gunner was actually Leonard Lake. Sheriff Ballard knew he needed to send some people searching for the property to locate, searching the property to locate this area that the real estate agent had described. So now Lake has not only claimed to be Stapley, he's also claimed to be Gunner. You've laid so many goddamn names on me. I don't even know if we're talking about Lake and Ing anymore. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just riding along. It's like, it's almost like you're reading me or if I'm listening to like five different audiobooks all at the same time with different characters in different places. You, you can't even imagine what the research was like on this because you kept saying you're still working on that one. Yeah, I kind of am. My brain just... I was it, still working it, on this at 5 a.m. this morning. My brain shut off after you mentioned that, I don't know, 900th name or some shit like that. My brain went, fuck it. Let's just ride it out. Yeah. Just ride, ride the ride with me, Scott. Ride the ride with me. Okay. So... Okay, when the locksmiths finally got to the got the structure open the next day, um, the sheriff and one of the de- investigators and the county information officer went to do a preliminary search. The main area measured. Now, this is you're going to want to pay attention to. The main area measured 20 feet by 12 feet and resembled a workshop with numerous hand tools and power saws hanging on the wall that looked to be made of plywood, and a workbench next to it. When they looked at the tools, they had dried brown substance on, encrusted on them that resembled blood. See? Dried brown. Whatever. I, now, But now I know why they needed the bench vice. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. You'll also... It, it, look, the bench itself had a broken vice attached to it. My next fucking sentence told you. <laughs> <laughs> Asshole. It's my ESP, man. Yeah. Extra Scotty power. Yeah. However, something wasn't quite right about the room itself. The dimensions of the room inside indicated that it was a bit smaller than when it was compared to the outside. And it has a broken vice. So that's a big problem with the room right there. You can't have a workshop with a broken vice. Just saying. Yeah, that was the problem. That's the problem right there. Yeah, you'll find out what more was the problem, but that's the problem. Yeah, you got to have a vice. That's, that's why they were there getting the vice. Please mind your own damn business. <laughs> Let them have their motherfucking vice. That's right. It's just, it, Everybody it's needs a vice, right? That's right. I'll tell you what. I'll throw 20 bucks in there for them. You guys take the damn vice home. Continue on. 
You're already impersonating everybody all in San Francisco. So Next thing you know, they'll be impersonating you. Yeah. <laughs> they'll all be fat guys with a guitar. <laughs> a monkey. A monkey with a guitar. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so when they figured that out, the investigators determined there has to be another room hidden somewhere, right? So it didn't take them long to discover that the plywood wall was actually a door that led to a smaller room. Inside the smaller room was a double bed, a side table, a few books, a small reading lamp, and hanging on the wall, they found a plaque with Operation Miranda carved on it. You know what that's from? I have no fucking idea. Oh, familiar, I'm but... surprised you don't know as much reading as you do. It sounds familiar, but... Authorities later discovered that the phrase was actually from the book called The Collector. Oh, duh. Written by John Foles. Right. Which they also found in the bookshelf. And the book is about a butterfly collector who abducts a woman only to keep her locked in a cellar until she dies. Yeah, what's wrong with that? That's where we should keep women anyway. Keep them in the cellar. Oh, I thought you wanted to keep them in the kitchen. Yeah, with a chain connected to their... Oh, so they can come up and down from the cellar? Well, yeah, duh. How else are they going to do the damn dishes? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. See, you're not like training a, 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 a puppy. It only took a couple of whacks for that newspaper. <laughs> I only took a couple of insights into that mind of yours before I was like, shut down and go, can't do it. Does not compute. <laughs> delete, delete. Um, inside the room, they also found military uniforms, boots, and a plethora of weapons, which included shotguns, machine guns, and assault rifles. Oh, wow. Laying on the floor was a work shirt and a baseball cap embroidered with Dennis Moving Service on the front. They like to move it, move it. Okay. The wall on the far side of the room held a number of books, some of which were about chemicals and explosives, and between the books they saw what looked to be a window made of several panes of glass. Perhaps that was a soundproof, that was to soundproof the room itself. They found a military starlight scope on another shelf. Do you know what that is? Uh-huh. Oh, okay, good. The scope was actually designed for sni- I tell people because not everybody's as genius as you are. Um, but the scope was designed for snipers and allowed the user to view objects in low light conditions. And, an, and then they found another wall, another one of the walls contained a total of 21 photos that were taken of various young women in different stages, stages of undress. Most of them appeared to have been taken outside and two of them were taken indoors in front of a wall that had cartoon characters depicted on the wallpaper. Oh my God. That is the perfect strip tease. Take your clothes off with Bugs Bunny. That's awesome. Not Dora the Explorer, though. She's creepy. <laughs> You're creepy. With her backpack, backpack. Abuelita. <laughs> I my, loved that show. My favorite one, because my first ex-wife was Mexican. They did one with uh, How to Say Snake, which is Colebre. So I kept calling her. I go, Ritza. She goes, what? Colebre, Colebre. I did that for like two weeks. So shut the fuck up, Scott. I don't want to hear that from your mouth Okay, again. my question is, why were you watching Dora the Explorer before you even had children? No, that was with Jake. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jake was like that big. I was going to say, because you were married to her before you had children. So No, I, I, I talk to her a couple times a week now still. Okay. No, I, I knew that, but I was like confused for a second. That's all. It's easy to confuse you. It's the Godzilla, isn't it? It's my lizard brain. That's right. And you're a dick. <laughs> I had to point this out at least multiple times a day. He is a dick. Okay, so 
Um, after analyzing the photos later, they determined that the wallpaper in those two photos looked exactly like the wallpaper that covered the walls of South City Juvenile Hall, which coincidentally, or maybe not so much, was where Clara Lynn was employed as a teacher's assistant. Okay, hold on. Wait, I want to get her back on this wait. one, too. Just because they're using the same fucking... Maybe they're both shopping at Home Depot. You ever got? You guys ever think about that? Maybe there's still. Maybe it's the same wallpaper. They said they went to Home Depot and they said, "Hey, that's pretty badass stuff." I would have cartoon character wallpaper. You would. I would because you know I'm a big child. You know, don't don't judge them. <laughs> don't judge. Why. Don't judge. Anyways, the good news is they were also able to identify all 21 women, and they were all found to be very much alive. See, it's the cartoon characters kept them alive. That's better than Saturday Night Fever. Staying alive, staying alive. Oh my God, I'm gonna die. <laughs> I'm really gonna. I'm gonna choke myself. Um, <laughs> when detectives took measurements from this room and added them to the measurements of the other room, they still didn't match the dimensions from the outside. Damn, multi-dimensional. Yeah, they knew that there was yet another room, and they figured it was hidden behind the small window in the bookshelf. So Sheriff Ballard told them, "Pause the search for now. Let the forensic technicians collect their evidence." And then we can go look for more. Fair okay? enough. Yeah. Fair enough. So the first thing the technicians found was an adult foot fingerprint, which was on the window itself. They later were able to find other prints, all of which, including the one on the window, were belonged to Lake and Ng. While they continued to comb through the inside, outside searchers discovered two bones beside the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you make speaking hard. Four if they're naked. <laughs> continue you're okay no i'm not neither are you it is sunday i'm tired i haven't been sleeping well lately you know that um but they were uncertain whether they were animal or human so they sent them to chief medical examiner in san francisco by the name of dr boyd stevens to be analyzed further on day two of the search, lab techs inside the cabin located a 22 caliber bullet in the wall of the main room. They often found a diary, which they later determined belonged to Lake himself, under the springs of the bed in the same room. And the diary explained how Lake was a survivalist who greatly feared what he considered to be an inevitable nuclear war and gave precise details about he, how he and Ng went about selecting, raping, and murdering several people. It also laid out Lake's plans to go around the country where he would build similar structures where he would not only store weapons for this war that he felt was coming, but also female sex slaves, which he would then use to repopulate the world after the fallout of the war. Okay, that's an awesome fucking plan right there. I don't see a problem with that. Holding women against their will is not a problem. Oh, you think? Oh, women. That's right. Women have rights now. Never mind. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> you. You know, some people don't know your sense of humor, so they probably think you are the biggest jackass ever. I've said that before in our previous shows. I have to I explain myself every show because I'm pretty do. sure that we have some. He's an asshole. Jesus Christ, well, hold women folks, hostage. Folks, he is an asshole, but he does have a sense, sick sense of humor. And he wants so, to hold women hostage yeah. all the time. It's okay to. He's making up excuses that there's blood yeah. everywhere. No, about, I joke around that I'm free to come and go, but I can't. I'm tied, tied to this chair. Then he makes fun of a guy who drinks box wine, and I drink box wine. What's wrong with that? Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm not drinking it out of the gallon-sized jug that says Gallo anymore. I mean, it's out of a box. 
I'm recycling, damn it. Stop it. That's what I'm doing is I'm recycling. Stop it. I'm trying to drink coffee and you're making it difficult. You're welcome. Yeah. So. Continue. Anywho. Do you need box wine? No, I need to figure out where I was. (laughs) Sometime around five that night, the forensic teams were done with their analysis of the two rooms in the structure. So the two investigators continued their search for another room. After checking the second room, Brun located a hidden door behind a bookshelf that would take them to a room with the window. The room measured three feet by seven and a half feet by six feet tall. Hi. Inside the room, there was a narrow bed, a chemical toilet, an air freshener, because, you know, the chemical toilet, they need the air freshener. Well, plus, man, if you're in there for any length of time, man, you're going to yeah, get you'll the get funky rank. monkey. Yeah, air yeah. freshener. That's a good and call, man. it had a water container. There were holes that were drilled in the wall of the room, which seemed to be there as a way to allow for ventilation, but they had been modified in such a way as to prevent light from entering. Damn. Yeah. Go on with your big bed cells. I know, right? Fucking MacGyver that shit, I guess. They did. Upon further examining the two smaller rooms, detectives found out that the window itself was a two-way glass. Beside it, they located a button that, when pressed, would allow whoever was in the first room to hear exactly what was happening in the small room. And when he turned off the lights in the bunker, he just, the, uh, the investigator discovered that when he used the scope, the starlight scope, to look through the viewing window, he could clearly see the woman in the other room in the, you know, in the dark. No, so, shit. the smaller room, they determined, was a hostage cell. Well, uh, with all this information the team had gathered at, at the site up to that point, Sheriff Ballard went back to his office to launch a full-scale murder investigation, and he would bring on agents from the FBI, the California Forest Department, and the California Department of Justice. Yeah. Bring yeah. in the big guns. Yeah. When even more search dogs arrived on the third day from the California Rescue Dog Association, they still weren't successful locating anything. The sheriff brought in the heavy equipment to dig everything up. Oh, he said, cool. dig it up, boys. I can just see, um, what was his name? Not hot. Sheriff, what was his name? From Dukes of Hazard. Oh, uh, uh, Roscoe P. Coltrane. Yeah, and the big, sher- the big old fat guy. Boss Hog. Boss Hog. Yeah, that's who I picture. We'll find that whisker tail. Yeah. Okay, so um, later that same morning, Gloria Lake's mother returned to the site to talk to the sheriff. She told them she told them she was worried about her other son, Donald, who had been missing for two years. And he was a duck. But when when the when she was questioned again, she was asked if Clarinet Clarilyn had taken anything out of the cabin before they all met up at the grocery store. And apparently she had, in fact, removed a total of 12 videotapes, which were in the main room of the cabin. When she handed them over later, they were analyzed by technicians. All of them did only contain footage of her and Lake having sex. So she told the truth. So wait, little, you know, and that's before Pornhub. You guys could be know, making dude. a mint right now if you had those tapes. I know, especially considering he's a, you know, right, killer. Upload that shit to fucking Pornhub, yeah. man. You guys be driving a Rolls Royce. Yeah, she also told the detectives that Lake had officially been declared brain dead that morning, and the doctors were trying to encourage her to remove him from life support. Okay, that was day two. Yeah. Um, Sheriff Ballard felt like this case was starting to turn into a nightmare, and evidence pointed to the possibility of quite a few kidnappings, rapes, and murders committed by at least two suspects, one of whom was practically dead, and the other was God knows where. He was frustrated that all he could do about anything was collect more evidence, sit around, and wait. Yeah, that's about it. 
Yeah. So in the meantime, the FBI found out that Ng was on a flight from San Francisco to Chicago. But from there, his trail went cold. When they ran a background check on him, they discovered he was originally from Hong Kong, had one sister in Toronto and another in Calgary, an uncle in Yorkshire, England, and some Marine friends in Hawaii. Depending on how much money he had available to him, he could be in any one of those places. With this knowledge, they reached out to Interpol as well as Scotland Yard to give them Ng's description and ask for their help finding him. Now, I have... Okay, I'll go through what evidence was collected and then we can um, pause for the next because it's kind of quite a ways to go yet. So when they started day four of the search, Dr. Stevens, a medical examiner, came back out to the site to let them know that those were in fact human bones near the driveway. And it wasn't long after he arrived that they found another bone, which was found on, and this one indicated that it had been cut with a saw or similar tool as it had clean cuts on both ends. Okay. Then as they continued to search the premises, more and more items were found in random locations. For instance, in that trench they found on the first day next to the bunker, there was a plastic bag that contained a letter and a receipt. The letter was addressed to Ng and the receipt to a guy, Harvey Dubs. Another item was a shirt with the name Scott embroidered on the front. See, blame me again. <laughs> no, they probably think you're a victim. <laughs> yeah. Little, I'm too pretty to be a victim. Little do they know. <laughs> okay. I'm too pretty for jail. You're not too pretty to be a victim. <laughs> when I say they found hundreds of items, that's not an exaggeration. I'll explain later what I mean. Everything they found had to be labeled, photographed, and begged up to be taken from the site and into the lab for analysis. The search team wouldn't start uncovering any bodies until day five. That's when they found the remains of two people. Well, this is just it. They were the skeletal remains they discovered seemed to be the complete set of bones for two people. But they had been sewn, they had been sawn into various pieces before they were burned. Probably in that incinerator. Oh, my God. They wouldn't do that. That's just for burning garbage. Come on. Then why were the bones burned? Forest Here's fire? Here's what happened. Exactly. Tell me what happened, Scott. I love hearing your I love hearing your hypotheses. They were framed. I was framed. Because frame, frame, frame. Because Lucy Lou or whatever the hell her name was, making all those sex tapes. They were probably gonna start a porn company. Her name was Clara Lynn. Yeah, whatever. Clara, whatever. Lucy Lou's gonna sue you now. Probably. I guess sue by her next. But uh, you know, they were gonna start their own little porn company. Probably something like, you know, uh, uh, Clara Lynn and the fat bald guy, bearded dude, wherever the fuck like he Jake was. Jake and the fat man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, then like Vivid Video uh, stepped in, okay. or somebody like that, and they said, "Ha ha, we're gonna frame you. You'll never start a porn company." And uh, that's what happened. That didn't make any sense at all. It makes sense to you, to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say because usually your stories kind of make a little bit of sense if you have an imagination, but that made no sense at all. That's the best I could do to defend. Yeah. Uh, to defend I was gonna say you're, you're you're reaching there, buddy. You're a little reaching. bit, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. Maybe they tripped and fell in the incinerator and saw themselves. Exactly. Okay. I saw myself do a lot of things. Okay. Yeah, and also on day five at around 8 p.m., Leonard Lake was removed from life support, and he died within seconds. He's gone. Gone, gone, gone. Bye, Leonard. Bye, Lake. Yeah, 
Later in that day, search team members dug up a five-gallon bucket that they had to unseal. Inside the bucket, they found a checkbook for Robin Robin Scott Stapley, some credit cards, driver's license, jewelry, wallets, and three videotapes. Two of the tapes weren't labeled, but the third was clearly marked M. Ladies Kathy slash Brenda. Okay? When they viewed the unmarked tapes later, one of them only showed footage of Lake and Clara Lynn at what appeared to be a Thanksgiving dinner, and the second was Lake by himself. And that one, he was candidly talking about how his greatest fantasy in life was to kidnap a woman so that he could enslave her, which I've actually found some footage of. Get the fuck out of here. I did. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know me. I'll find whatever I can. I'll search. That is true. And you know what? I shouldn't tell people this, but the best items to find for stuff like this is on like page 12 of Google search, not on like one or two. Just saying. Um, However, that was nothing compared to what they saw in the third tape. I read somewhere that the person who analyzed this particular tape said that it was the most disturbing of them all. It was footage of a young woman who they were calling Kathy in the, sh- in the video who was chained to a chair at first. Then it showed that she was being forced to perform like a stripper while Lake and Aang sat back and taunted her. And then there was another part of the video where it was clear that Aang was having sex with her on some bed and Lake was going around them taking photos. I don't understand why they'd have to force her to be a stripper. I'd do it for, like, nobody has to force me. i just start automatically doing it to put on, you know, nipple castles and my... Dude, I know. My leopard print Between you and your shirtless son, I have been traumatized for life. (laughs) I'm telling you, I have some extra bras at home I'm going to bring over for him. Just saying. (laughs) Brutal. I told that to you. He goes... What's so wrong with the... And then he tried to hold him and jiggle him, which made it even grosser. No, he does that to me, man. I just look at him and I shake my hand. I don't need that shit in my fucking head. I got enough... I know, dude. I, I have enough, enough images I can't get rid of. I got drug brain, man, from all the dope that I've done. And fucking, I don't need that shit trapped yeah. in my head, too. Well, you know I'm a visual thinker, and I have enough shit from what you say. I don't need to see shit from him. Just saying. Imagine if he came out in a Catwoman outfit. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> You're a dick. Ta-da. <laughs> So, this same tape also had footage of a woman named Brenda. She was begging them to tell her what was happening to her baby, right? All Lake said in the video recording was, your baby is sound asleep like a rock, okay? (coughs) Or under a rock, either way. They then continued to threaten her and taunt her until she finally breaks and agrees to do what they want her to do. Then, even further into the footage, they heard what sounded like her showering with both of the men. And this woman was later to be identified as Lake's neighbor, 19-year-old Brenda O'Connor, who authorities figured Lake and Ng had murdered Lonnie, her partner, common-law husband, and their infant son, Lonnie Jr., before they even started recording the video. We're back on doing kids again. Two. God two. damn it. But still, we just did kids uh, on, a, on a Monday. Yeah, yesterday. Yeah. So, Give me I a break from killing you know what? Kids. I didn't realize this. I had kids in it, so I was halfway through it, and I couldn't stop. So, And then what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. you couldn't stop killing kids? No, I couldn't what? stop the research. Like, what, what, what is the ki- is the kid killing episodes? Is it like Pringles? Once you have one, once you no, pop, I can't stop? No, I couldn't stop my research, you dumbass. All right. I'm just, I'm just making sure, man. Just well, I on. told you that this one is a weird one. But at least they didn't kill like a whole bunch of kids. It no. Wasn't like, you know, no. One, so. And it seems that they did it rather quickly. Okay, fair enough. So, which, I mean, isn't, like, comforting, but, you know. As the team continued to search that day, they kept finding more and more shit. 
The next set of items they were able to dig up included a partial skull and a second bucket that held some personal items and a complete intact body. A few minutes later, they had four more bodies, those of three adults and one child. Two of the adult bodies were female. The other was that of a black male. Next, they found yet another plastic container, as well as a long metal tube that looked to be about 12 inches in diameter. When they opened the container, the, um, inside they discovered it held exactly, exactly, somebody counted, 1,863 silver dollars, as well as more wallets, and that more wallets that had even more credit cards, and they soon found that the tube itself held, held a Colt AR-15 semi-automatic. Oh. That's a pretty good. intense firepower, isn't it? Everybody says that. You know. I don't. See, I don't know. I told you a, I don't know A rifle know guns. is a rifle. Okay, so uh, like uh, any of your ARs, you can have them Those chambered. are assault rifles, yes. That's what they're called. But they, 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 they'll shoot like a two twenty three round or anything in the thirty caliber range if they're, if they're chambered for that. But you can use a fucking regular hunting rifle that'll shoot a two two three, a .30-06, a three oh eight, anything like that. But people look at the at what the gun looks like. Oh, it's an assault rifle. Just like when See, people look at fucking pit bulls. I was having this discussion this morning about... Don't get up. With a me? place that I went to deliver to, and I won't mention the place. And the lady comes out, and this is when I had my pit bull, Denver. Oh, yeah, you told me that story. Yeah, yeah. That, that one. And just for those of you who haven't heard this, I'm taking her for a walk, and Denver wouldn't bite anybody. Yeah. And this lady comes out, oh, my God, is that a pit bull? I go, no, ma'am, that's an American Staffordshire Terrier. She goes, Thank God, because pit bulls are dangerous. And even my dog looked up at me and went, is she fucking retarded? I went, yeah, she's fucking retarded, dude. And she said, okay, just yeah. making sure. Well, yeah, because I get the I get the question all the time: Is does your dog part wolf? And I go, no, even though I believe he is. I go, no, not at all, because he happy. is like the sweetest dog ever. Right, but my my point was that yeah. people look at what they assume is assault rifle. Mm-hmm. Ever, you know what? Anything can be an assault. Anything. The well, mug see, of I was just thinking. As, an I didn't mug. think as far as assault rifle. I was thinking powerful, as in like a powerful weapon itself. Like a forty four, I think, is a powerful handgun. It depends on the on, on, on what kind of bullet. Okay, and actually, you know, like a twenty two is a great way to kill somebody. It's a I, small. I was going to say that's room. a little compact thing, isn't it? Well, it could be big. Oh, okay. Yeah, point two long rifle and everything like that because it's an unstable bullet. Oh, okay. So be behind a small charge. So it's not going to make a lot of noise. And if you shoot someone in the base of the skull, your skull's pretty fucking thick. It's just going to bounce around. So it's like a like oh, a blender yeah. in, your, in your brain. Okay. And you're, you're, you're done. You're done. Yeah. Thank you for giving me a tip on how to shoot you. That's fantastic. I appreciate it. Helpful tips by Scott. Brought to you by Twisted Blue LLC. <laughs> yeah, kill a, tips on how to kill Scott. No. <laughs> kill a podcast host today. Yeah. You happy about that one? I am. A little PSA Thank for you. you. Yeah. I like it when you do your PSAs. No, because I told I told you before. I know nothing about guns. I've never held one. I've seen them in pictures. That's it. Oh, and I've had my little pellet guns. Gun? Oh, pellet gun. Yeah. Yeah, I had a couple of those. Anyways, um, where was I? Oh, no, I couldn't find my place. When searchers began... You know your place. I knew you were going to say that, and those are my biggest pet peeve words ever. Have I ever told you that? that, that was, I hate being told that. Some guy told me that one time, and I i mean, we were at a retreat, he, and I was cleaning the kitchen. He goes, that's right. You know your place. I, I looked at him. I threw the sponge down. I said, I'm done, and walked away. Wouldn't even clean anymore. Ma'am, ma'am, you need to calm down, okay? You're at a 10. I need you to bring that down to a four for me, okay, ma'am? Hold on. Security. <laughs> Whatever, dick. <laughs> Anywho, 
So when searchers began to search what looked to be a mound of freshly dug soil located a bit of a distance from the cabin itself, they found it contained some more bodies, two bodies to be exact, and it was determined that both of these victims were each killed by one small caliber bullet, and they were both shot in the head. Just what you just said. Yeah, because the... the, uh, uh, So this also happened... From what I read, uh, stories about the Vietnam War. So they were like, okay, so if you're talking like something that's chambered at a two two three round, okay, that means that the, the bullet itself is a is a twenty two caliber. Okay. And it might be a little bit longer, but it's, okay. it's about twenty two. With and then the two two three is the, is you it's got a larger casing. Okay. So it's a it's a high powered rifle thing. So what some guys would do is shoot themselves in the foot to get a medical discharge, go home from Vietnam. Right? I've heard that. Yeah, and it, but it, it would hit. And then tumble up their leg and like bust the femoral artery, Ooh. and they bleed out. Ooh. It happened more often than not because it's an unstable round. That's why now they use uh, uh, things that are in the thirty caliber range, uh, most common being the three hundred eight. Got it. So if you go a three hundred eight, that's a thirty, right? So it's a thirty caliber round, and then you've got the powder charge behind it. See, okay, see, and the only reason every time you say that cracks me up because my old phone number used to be. Three five seven five three zero six, and my friend says he goes no four three zero six. He goes, you know, I always remember it because I always say three fifty seven for thirty odd six. Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, so every time you think, I think that, but no, because like I said, you know, I. But then I have a friend who was in the Vietnam War. He in his first tour, he went over there, got off, <clears throat> stepped off the hel- <laughs> helicopter, got hit by shrapnel, never served a day. Lucky bastard. And, yeah, now he's on disability and all that for it. Yeah, lost an eye too. Oh yeah, no, nah, yeah. that's that's fucked yeah, up. Yeah, no, he. I mean, nice guy ever, but anyways, um, but only one eye. I know it's freaking when he takes it out too. It's disgusting. Um, <laughs> Can you see this? No, I've only got one eye. Yeah. Anyways, shut up. <laughs> uh, so after the teams were finished gathering all the evidence from the bunker, it was torn down in an effort to search for yet more bodies underneath. When the authorities finally began to wind down their search efforts, they had uncovered twelve bodies. There was a total of seven men, three women, and two boys, two baby boys. However, they also recovered a total of 45 pounds of bone fragments from the property, as well as countless items of personal property that they could not determine belonged to either Lake or Ing. And when they took a catalog of everything that they seized as evidence from in and around both the cabin and the bunker, it suggested there could be up to 25 Previously reported missing individuals who may have actually been killed in or around that property. Damn, they've been busy boys. Yeah. However, since the majority of them had been dismembered or burned before they were just strewn about the area, (coughs) the task of identifying them would prove to be difficult, if not impossible. And when they were done, they wound up issuing a warrant to charge him to charge Charles Ng for a total of 12 murders and which were the 12 sets of complete sets of remains they found. But the final count of victims later were identified as Kathleen Allen. Um, She's one of the women from the videotape and her boyfriend, Michael Carroll, who actually had been in cellmate when he was in Leavenworth. Robin Scott Stapley, which was living with the guy's neighbor with Lake's neighbors. that, That sounds familiar. Randy Johnson, who, we haven't heard anything of in this whole description, but he had, you know, remember they found the ID for him. Right. Charles, the fat man gunner, who was Lake's best man. <laughs> uh, Donald Lake, which was Leonard Lake's own brother. Paul Costner, who's the owner of the Honda Prelude. And Brenda O'Connor, Lonnie Bond Jr. And 
Lonnie Bond, yeah, Lonnie Bond Sr. and Lonnie Bond Jr., the next door neighbors, as well as Harvey, Deborah, and Sean Doves, which is the other little boy. They and they were abducted and killed after Lake and Ang responded to the ad about the audio equipment. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. Busy, busy. Yeah, it's crazy. But and I figured they only charged Ang at first with the twelve because I think that they believe that uh Leonard killed his brother before Ang showed up. No, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So that's probably the cutting off point right now because next is their manhunt for this ing and a little bit of background and stuff. Wait, let me figure out what page I'm on. I might be able to go through the FBI. Let me go through the FBI thing. It's quick. All right. I believe. Yeah, it's quick. Um, so the FBI, the whole time the sheriff's office is digging up and sifting through everything, the FBI is dig- doing some digging of their own. Okay. They are digging up through any information they could gather pertaining to the one person that was still alive that they believe was one of the people completely responsible for the horrors out of that cabin. And that was Aang. It didn't take them long to determine Aang was a native of Hong Kong. And he was born on December 24th, 1961. His father was a very successful and very wealthy businessman who had done what he could to give Charles every possible opportunity that life could offer somebody. Yet no matter what he did for his son or how much he tried to help him, Charles showed his rebellious nature at a rather young age. Reports indicated that he had succeeded in getting expelled from not one, not two, but several schools. Damn. Before he was 15. Okay? In an effort to help his son change his behavior, Charles's father sent him to Yorkshire, England, where he was enrolled in a boarding school and put under the protection of his uncle, who taught at that school. Okay? Little ass-kicking going on? Yeah, you would think so. Asian families, they are very strict. Oh, yeah. I was raising one, I know. And not all of them will love you long time. Uh, no, they won't. <laughs> Some of them will they be- you long time. They really believe in sparing the rod and spoiling the child. And actually, I believe they just believe in sparing the rod. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Um, so it wasn't long after he was enrolled in this new school that Charles went with some other students from the school to a department store in the area. And while they were there, he was caught stealing. And as a result of that theft, he was expelled from that school. Okay. <laughs> So the teenager was sent back to Hong Kong until he turned 18. That's when he procured a student visa to come to the United States, where he would attend Notre Dame College in Belmont, California. He would only remain there for one semester before he quit. Okay? In October of 79, he found himself in legal trouble when he was charged with a hit and run. He was convicted of those charges and as a result was just ordered to pay the damages. Can we take a time out real quick? Because you said Notre Dame, right? The in, Notre Dame in California. Because Notre Dame's in Indiana. I know, but it says Notre Dame College in Belmont, California. Bizarre. Okay. Uh, fine. That's Notre Dame University. Uh, all right. No, no, it's cool. It's cool. I just, I was a little confused. Um, Don't get on me about my from... sports teams, dude. Look. I know where Notre Dame just University is. Just because you is. like the Cowgirls. So, win's up, win one for the Gipper is Notre Dame. I don't follow sports. It's Newt it's Rockney. Retarded. It's Newt Rockney. Okay, I'll take your fucking word for that. You should, because I know what I'm talking about. Probably, I don't fucking know anything about sports. Anywho, let me finish. In October 1940, he was charged with that hit-and-run accident. He was convicted, but only had to pay damages. Not long after that, he joined the Marines. How did he do this if he wasn't a citizen, you ask? I know that's what you're asking me. I was kind of curious. I figured that you'd tell me. Yeah, well, he did it by listing his birthplace as Bloomfield, Indiana, and not Hong Kong. Oh, okay, makes sense. Yeah, so... While he was in the Marines, he was promoted to the rank of Lance Corporal by 81. 
Yet his entire military career wouldn't last much past that. The reason for this was because he, as well as three other individuals, were caught stealing weapons from Hawaii's, you know, I knew this name and I knew I was going to screw it up. Kanoehe? K-A-N-E-O-H-G. I know they pronounce every syllable and I don't know, you know. Um, Marine Base's Armory. He was arrested by the MP and locked up there approximately a month after the, the theft. He was incarcerated for only a matter of days before he escaped. And that's when he met Lake in California. Now, I read somewhere that it was reported that he responded to an ad Lake supposedly placed in some survivalist publication. However, since I read a report of a report, I couldn't verify it. And I'm not going to include it as fact. I just wanted to mention it in case somebody else read it and is like, oh, she didn't say that's how, you know. I'm a survivalist. And I want somebody else who's a survivalist yeah. that wants to entrap women and keep them as sex slaves. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I just wanted, like I said, I just wanted to mention in case somebody had read it also, they'll know why I didn't say that's exactly how they met. It wouldn't take him long after that initial meeting, no matter how it came about, for him to move in with Lake and his wife. Then, a short time after that, the FBI caught up to him and arrested him for the weapons charge, and he did time in Leavenworth, okay? When he was arrested for the weapons a second time, um, and did time in Leavenworth, he was released in June of 84. When he got out, he went back to California where he moved into the cabin with Lake. And technically the U S government should have deported him after his release from custody. However, at that time, the Marine Corps still didn't know that he wasn't a citizen. See what happens when you don't deport people, by the way, this is why I'm totally pro deportation. I knew you were going to go there because I'm thinking about my neighbors and uh, I'm not even sure. They're, they're probably legal, but I say deport them anyway just because they're assholes. You tell that to your ex-wife, too. <laughs> I and do. she was born in California. <laughs> she was. She was born in L.A. I always tell her, Maritza, you know that I'm sending La Migra after you, right? Get on the bus, Maritza. She's like, you're a dickhead. Oh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> Maybe a lot. <laughs> Anyways. Okay, where was I at? Oh, Okay. By their best estimates, the FBI figured that Ng and Lake had started kidnapping and killing people right around a month after they met back up and began living together in the cabin. They also found out that in July of 84, a guy by the name of Donald Gilletti, a disc jockey out of San Francisco, as well as his roommate Richard Carraza, had been shot by an Asian man when he broke into their apartment to rob them, Donald died as a result of the attack. However, Richard would survive and later identify Ng as the shooter. Authorities found the gun used in the attack among all the evidence in the compound. The FBI were also busy trying to track Ng's movements. From the time he left San Francisco, it was a gradual process, but they were successful. Apparently, when Clarilyn drove him to the airport, a witness saw him actually get on an American Airlines flight that was headed for Chicago. When he was there, he checked into the Chateau Hotel, stayed there for four days. Um, when he checked out, he met with an unknown friend, and they traveled to Detroit before he finally crossed the border into Canada alone. When they searched his apartment, they discovered a cache of weapons along with more property and a, that allegedly belonged to the victims and a pay stub issued to him by Dennis Moving Company. Okay, now the FDI also put it on, together a file on Lake. They determined it was obvious he did not grow up with the same privilege as Ng. Lake was born on October 29th, 1945. He's a native of San Francisco. Reports indicate that his parents had a contentious relationship, and this is the sad part, before he was born. And his birth did nothing to improve that. 
He was actually passed around between several relatives until he was five or six years old when he moved in with his grandparents permanently. And as a result of this, he understandably felt rejected and abandoned by his parents. And according to reports given by friends and family, he never got over that. Can, can I answer the question that we always have at the end? Not yet. Please, come on. This Not one's easy. Not yet. This one's easy. Not yet. Fine. Go ahead. Dick. You're a dick. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. I, you know what? It's nurture. Fair. Okay. However, I have more to say, but I mean, you know, I kind of agree with you on this one. Yes. Right, right, right. Yes. Ing really does currently, currently sound like nature. That's kind of where I was at, too. Yeah, I mean, granted. But I have more information, so. No, yeah, you do. Okay, go for it. Shoot. No, okay. Did you just call me sugar tits? Uh, no. Oh, I thought I heard you say go for it, sugar. And I was like, did you just say that again? No, I said shoot. Oh, okay. I haven't oh, used sugar tits you? since I was fucking bitching about her mocha. No, you called me that just the other day yourself. Did I? Yes. You go, I'm here now, sugar tits. I got to go. You say that to me quite frequently before you <laughs> hang up, by the way. And I started becoming offended when you started calling homolka that because then I knew it was an insult and not a compliment. No, okay. You have to understand. Everything is both with me, okay? Like, I, I, I can look at somebody and go, dude, you're a fucker, and that's an insult, right? Then I go, hey, what's up, fucker? It's, yeah, it's you often same. call me bitch, fucker, twat, hoe, sugar tits. I only say ho when I'm talking about, you know, the two-pack. Oh, my God. I'm going to hit you. And the Wayne and the 50 cents. No, you'll often text me and say, yo, ho, where you at? <laughs> yeah. Because I'm laying down the mad rhymes. Don't be hating when you see You're me lucky rolling. my arm is killing me. Otherwise, <laughs> I would have thrown half this shit over here at you by now. Yeah. Half of it would have gone straight across the computer <laughs> and hit you in the face. It's because I've got the mad rhymes, yo. <laughs> I hate you. I know. <laughs> he knows that gangster rap is like my thing. And no. I would do anything. Snoop Dogg, if you're listening, come smoke a joint with me. Run. Run. You no, already dude. heard about her butt, man. Just saying. <laughs> he might like big butts and he cannot lie. Oh, no. that's What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> might be afraid of Godzilla. I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Shut up. I got bacon in my teeth. Anyways, um, when he was 19 <laughs> years old, Lake would leave home and he enlisted in the Marine Corps. It was there that he was trained as a radar operator. When he finished his specialist training, he was deployed to Vietnam and stationed in Da Nang. His military medical records indicated that he was hospitalized at some point during his first tour for what they say was exhibiting incipient psychotic reactions. Do you know what that is? Yes, I do. Well, good, because I didn't, so I looked it up. <laughs> and just for the record, I still don't 100% know what it means, so I kind of get a general picture, but I'm going to just read you the definition I got from encyclopedia.com. Incipient psychosis. If the picture of dubious function, and I think it's because of all these weird terms, if the picture of dubious functioning described as borderline psychosis is present, and accompanied by signs of increasing lability of mood, progressive inability to control impulses, increasing emergence of primary process, and increasing crumbling of defenses with deja vu, feelings of unreality, impaired sleep, impaired appetite, and a rising anxiety level, then we are dealing with incipient psychosis. To me, that sounds like bipolar disorder. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I just see because that almost explains me to a T sometimes when I'm well, having my episodes. You have to understand though, when, when you know, uh, diagnosis of mental uh, it, conditions. It is kind of 
Well, no, it, it's changed right. over the year. Because like, think, think about when we were kids. You know, you didn't have ADD, ADHD. No, we had problem like children. That. You had like that kid's a fucking dick and a problem child. And needs his ass whooped. Yeah, and you got to whip his ass. That's yeah. what we had. And now we got you know ADD, ADHD, opposite uh, opposition defiance disorder. Yeah, um, all kinds of OCD, shit. bipolar one, bipolar two, two. all yeah, that, all that. So it could, it, it's just it's a natural progression. Okay, no, because like I was saying, I mean, because I was reading this and I'm like, some of those are my symptoms when I'm having a manic and episode, especially. And thank God I'm on medication to regulate it because those are not fun. Oh, believe me, I'm so and happy I'm not fun to be around either. Just I'm saying. so happy that you're medicated. <laughs> I'm happy you're medicated, so shut up. Help <laughs> me tolerate you. Yeah, whatever. Even with all that, it appears that his superiors actually didn't think it was a major issue since they, since they just treated him there and then had him return to finish his tour. He then started a second tour, but that one ended when it was said he suffered from unspecified medical problems and he was returned to Orange County's El Toro Marine Base. In total, he served approximately seven years. During that time, he earned the Vietnam Service Medal, a Vietnam Campaign Medal, two additional medals for good conduct, and... Get this, I actually know the term. His DD-214, which is his discharge papers, he was given a medical discharge. After that, he moved to San Jose, California. Okay? Now, I'm kind of confused on that one because I guess I'll get into it in my thoughts, but it wasn't long after he was discharged from the Marine Corps when he was admitted to Oakland VA Hospital and treated for more psychological problems. When he was discharged from the hospital, he would attend San Jose State University for a short period of time. And then he went and met Claire Lynn five years after his military discharge when they both attended a Renaissance fair in Marin County. Now, he was there to run a stall, and you'll, get, you'll love this. Does thou like me? Yes. Does thou like me? No. I like if you. He was there to run a stall where he charged a fee for visitors to take pictures with a goat that he dressed up to resemble a unicorn. That's hot. I know. I was going to yeah. say, you would love that. That is fucking awesome. Yeah. The couple would get married in 81 before they moved to Philo in Mendocino County, which is in Northern California, and they lived in a commune. In the commune, they took a residence in a rather large ranch that Lake had nicknamed Alibi, Alibi Run. And they bought a lot of unicorn and goats. And he had a marijuana girl. What? And they had a lot of unicorn goats. Yeah, probably. It was after they moved to the ranch that Lake's friends say he started to become more more delusional. Um, it was around this time that he began to convert the ranch into a survivalist camp of sorts, where he stocked it with supplies and weapons that would help him ward off the siege that he just knew was coming, a siege that he himself had to be prepared for. Well, yeah, man, when you're with your herd of unicorn goats, you got to be prepared for that shit. We almost ready to wrap this one up. So I am ready two? to wrap this one up. I thought I'm you done. were. <laughs> when I put my head down, I was done. No, that's that's at a stopping point right there. All righty, I'm just I'm stuck on unicorn goats. So let's let's do a quick recap of things that I am stuck on. Bandana iguana. Bandana iguana and the and the lady in the scrubs that was that was chasing him that is still at large. Right. Uh, Tool and Lucas. Tool and Lucas. Beavis and Butthead. The little um, prayer that I can't yeah, share with you. Yeah, the prayer that you can't say on the air from can't your say book, from my book. That he says to me every night <laughs> now before he goes to fucking bed. Fucking hilarious. And every morning when he calls me. Um, yeah, he calls me and says, did you say your prayers last night? <laughs> <laughs> it's disgusting. Um, unicorn goats now go in there. Unicorn goats now go in there, too. Definitely go in there, too. Holy shit. I'm sure we'll have more stuff that'll go in there eventually. Oh, God. Hey, maybe, maybe. Hear oh my god! Is, is this another hypothesis? 
maybe we can introduce bandana wearing iguana with woman chasing it in medical scrubs yelling at it in Spanish to the unicorn goats and we have a circus. It'll be fabulous. And get Tool and Lucas to be the circus ring. Oh my god, that would be right. <laughs> look, look, look at this. <laughs> He's got a boner. <laughs> <laughs> You're so stupid. <laughs> you know, I am so sad that they are dead because I would love to talk to them. Oh, me too. That would have been fucking great. That would have been one of my greatest all-time bucket list items. I think my IQ would have dropped and I would have been drooling. Probably, ah. but it would have been a bucket list item. That is true. I have a couple of them. <laughs> me too. And now one includes having a unicorn goat. You need a unicorn goat. Need a unicorn you goat. You do now. because sometimes that yard of yours needs a goat. <laughs> Just saying. That's only when the Mexicans don't want to go back there and fucking mow my lawn. They're Mexican. I know, but the I was like, why do you have to say it like that? Because I fucking hate them. You want to know why? Because they, mow ev- they don't mow it all the yeah, time. Yeah, they'll mow everything else, and they look at me, and then they pretend like they don't know English. No, senor, no habla English. Well, see, they've well, been doing her, it now. Uh, when I'm over here on those weekends, I think they see my car. And don't want me to yell at him That again. was great when you yelled at him. I know. Me. Well, I, this... I yell without yelling like I'm good at doing. Fantastic. All right. Yeah. This has been part one of a two-part series on Lake and Ing and G, which is fucking retarded. <laughs> which he just doesn't understand. And, uh, okay. What... We have a Hong Kong listenership. That's fine. But who the hell names your kid Cheetah? It's probably a family name. You have a family name of Talmish. Talmage. Okay. Excuse me. Who names their kid that? Everybody. I've never heard it until I met you. And I got three Cletuses in my family, too. And some Bubbas. And some Bubbas. <laughs> no, you have one Bubba. That is a strong family name, goddammit. I don't want to hear it. What, Bubba? From, yes, it's a strong family name. Well, you know, Heinrich Petrus is in my family name, and Petrick Heinrichus. Go that say that one That sounds twice. like some Nazi shit going no, on. No, it's very some Dutch. Z- that sounds like Zeke Heil going on. It's some very Dutch shit, yeah. It might be... Fucking shaving mustache down, a little Hitler thing going on. See what I'll do in your sleep tonight. <laughs> You're fucking brutal. <laughs> now, there you go. All right, this has been Brutal Nation. Remember that you can send us a an email at brutalnation.cast at gmail.com. Check out our website at www.twistedbluellc.com. And if you're going to shop on Amazon like the rest of the known world does, click on the link that we provide on our page. It helps out the show. doesn't cost you a damn thing more. Uh, this is this ep- <laughs> Let's try yeah, that again. Speak again. Speaking's hard. <laughs> Anything for you is hard. This episode's copyright 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. Also, by the way, because uh, Squaw- uh, uh, Tammy gave me the fucking death look over there. I gave him the fingers. <laughs> she fingered me. I did not. It was very inappropriate. I have to show the police on the on the rape doll where on the, on she the touched no-no me. Doll? No, no doll. Where she touchy, Scotty? Show me on the doll. Mm. Remember, you can check us, our blog out on uh, Medium at, at Brutal Nation. Well, it's at Brutal Nation on all of them. So oh, okay. Medium, Vocal Media, and Hub Pages. All right. Well, there you go, man. Yeah. And we're uploading new episodes on those blogs. All the time. All the time. We look forward to talking to you guys again. 